This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with Podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Maddie Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome in episode 219 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. This episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. If you follow Dream Symbols' Facebook page, you may have just saw the announcement. They just signed legendary jazz fusion creative drummer Paul Wertico to the Dream family. So if you go to the Dream Symbols' Facebook page, you will see a post there where Paul is uh, improvising on some beautiful Dream Symbols. I think it's a great pairing. Paul's one of my favorite players, especially when it comes to symbol. His simple touch, his simple sound, his creativity is endless, and I think it's going to be a lot of cool stuff coming from Paul Where to Go in Dream Symbols. This episode is also brought to you by Simmons Drums. So Simmons Drums is introducing the new SD1200 electronic drum kit, which features all mesh pads, a custom sound library with some vintage and world percussion, a large, easy-to-read LCD screen, some advanced VAR technology, wireless Bluetooth, USB connectivity, and a free iOS app for further customization and external sampling. This kit is available now at Guitar Center stores and online at musiciansfriend.com, so go visit simmonsdrums.net for more details. Our intro beat is from Dustin from Germany. This is uh, recorded using an AKG C414 mic, um, one classic overhead position, and then he has another one positioned in front of the bass drum. So it's a two-mic minimalist setup. He's got a Tama Star Classic Walnut Birch kit, which is the one that we reviewed a little bit ago. And I start finding aluminum snare. So let's take a listen to Dustin's groove and get the show going. It is episode 219. I did actually get someone, uh, our good friend Lou Montuli was like, dude, I thought you guys actually did stop because we didn't have a podcast oh, on Friday. Yeah, we kind and of I was like, No, no, no. We're going all the way to 250. <laughs> we're not stopping. 225. We got five more to go after this week. 225. <laughs> no, we're done. We're done. Uh, we're not stopping. We are so, so absolutely lucky to get to share this stuff with you and get to hang with you guys. We appreciate it. And every time Mike and I do something outside 
of our normal spaces, his uh, home at Modern Drummer headquarters and Mike's Lessons. When we get to travel and we meet you in person and you guys talk to us about the podcast, it, it really does mean a lot to us. We definitely do not take it for granted. So we'll keep going as long as you'll keep having us. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm kind of getting comfortable with someone saying, "Hey, I listened to the podcast." Before I was like, "Don't, don't ever tell me that. I don't want to know. Let's not right. acknowledge that this right. thing exists. I hate the sound of my voice. Let's not get into all of this." But now I'm like, "Yeah, cool, awesome. I'm happy." Right to on, man. Just basically get up here and make it all up every hour, every week for an hour. Every week. Well, it is it is something different for both of us. I mean, I'd never done a podcast, but I definitely had was very familiar with. Delivering information or speaking to a camera or – I mean I've been doing the YouTube thing since 2006. But this was – you becoming more of a public figure was very new for you. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I've uh, been behind the scenes my entire career. That's the way I designed mm-hmm. it for sure. Yeah. That and just the idea of um, <clears throat> you know, sometimes we might be wrong but we're going to publish it anyway. Or we might yeah. say something. We're like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that. I mean we do have the opportunity to edit out some stuff but I try to be very careful like – I only edit out something if it's just we just were completely wrong or if we're like, ah, we need to redo that part. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure. kind of like, we gotta, I gotta let myself, you know, I gotta have a little bit of a, I don't really call that vulnerability or just to realize that, you know, we obviously don't know everything and we're trying to figure it out just like everybody else. But yeah, I think it's important though. Like my favorite podcasts that I listen to are ones that have, obviously something to deliver. They have a a purpose and a direction, but I feel like I'm getting to know the person. I mean, I will say for a fact, this podcast lets you in way more on my true character and my true personality than any of my YouTube videos. Those are so heavily edited and Mm. they're not scripted, but they're scripted in my head. There's nothing I'm saying to the camera that I don't know I'm about to say. This is an hour. You can't hide who you are on this podcast. Yeah. And so I enjoy that because it helps, especially with the camp situation. If you listen to this podcast and you come to camp, you probably have a decent idea of of knowing who I am, what I'm about, that I'm a little bit snarky. Uh, I say things that I don't really apologize for. I'm like, get over it. Come on. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> we can't take the world that seriously. Uh, and you're right. I, I've prided myself on being an educator since I was 17 years old, and I'm still wrong all the time about certain things. Yeah. Where What I do notice through this podcast is the things that I'm 100% certain about are things that I go, wait a minute, I don't even know how I know that, so how can I be certain about it? Like yeah. when we talked about French grip, German grip, American grip, mm. those are all things that no – I don't remember learning that – Specifically, I just remember I've always known this is German grip, but I haven't researched enough to know, like, why is it called that? Am I right? So there are times that we say things and somebody might say, you know, I mean, I have no problem with Klaus Hessler sending me an email and be like, just so you know, dog, that's not right. <laughs> Don't it's throw like, the cool. whole nation of Germany under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. And why is American uh, the one that's always right? <laughs> oh, that's yeah. We need to fix that. Let's just call it average grip. Let's just call it's it average grip. grip. Let's the call grip. It, let's call it holding the sticks. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, since I've uh, I haven't talked to you in almost two days, man. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing all right. A lot has happened since since two days ago when we did episode two eighteen. <laughs> so, I can tell you a lot has happened over here. What's going on with you? Um, it's just 
catch up after PASIC. It's just been catch up, catch up. And then, you know, a bunch of gigs kind of, it's, it's funny how that always happens. Like, oh, I have a couple weekends free. And then all of a sudden it becomes my busiest two weeks in like yeah. six months. Yep. Which is cool. I mean, I can't complain about having work, but it gets a little overwhelming when it's like, oh, I've got to do a studio session and, and I've got to prepare for a gig that I don't know any of the music for and I've got to learn some new song. I mean, it's like, whoa, all this happened in like 48 hours. Since we last talked, yeah. literally all of that has wow. happened. <laughs> and I can know? only assume that you're the kind of person that wants to give it your all. So, But yeah. something's got to get watered down to make room for something else. And so it's got to be – I can assume that it's a bit of an internal fight for you because you want all of it to be fantastic. It is, and it's, it's anxiety-inducing, which I've learned – I mean, I think, thankfully, having this gig at the magazine where there is no stop in production, like the overwhelm, if you let it, could just destroy you. So that's kind of just normal. But I know that the anxiety of I don't have enough time to prepare – it forces me to be like, okay, I can't worry about the songs for Saturday until Saturday morning. Like, don't even consider right. that an option. So I'm segmenting my focus. Like, I've got to, got to prepare for this recording session. I've got to prepare for this new song I have to play. And then we'll worry about the gig on Saturday, Saturday morning, which is tough. It's not my, my natural way to do it. But, yeah, you know, you just got to do what you got to do. If it makes you feel better, uh, it is Wednesday right now. For the, That's when we're actually recording this. My band is coming in tonight to re-record. Uh, you know, my clinic tracks of my band have been the actual songs from my band. Mm -hmm. Well, I thought, okay, in 2020, I love playing those songs because there's so much emotional connection to them. Because as I'm playing those songs in a foreign country, I'm all by myself, a little bit homesick, I'm... I'm visualizing the writing process with my two best friends. And, mm -hmm. I'm, and so it's it's fun to play those songs. The problem is they're somewhat fusion-y, but I have to overplay those songs to make them work in a clinic situation. Mm, so if any right. producer was watching, he'd be like, really? That's what you do in that song? It's like, well, it's not what I actually do in the song, but it's a drum clinic. So my band's coming in tonight to re-record two of the songs specifically for clinics, but we've put in drum solo breaks into the songs. Right, right. So it's like, well, let me play the songs how they should be played. So at least there's a little moment of I'm a res I'm respectful to the music. And then let me have my time where clearly it's my time to throw some heat. Mm -hmm. But it's Wednesday. I fly out. I have a 20-hour flight to Singapore Friday morning. Yeah, so, so you're going to record it and then not actually practice it for correct. two days. Yep. Yeah. Cool, and man. then and it's in odd time. It's gonna be it's gonna be a vamp in odd time. So uh yeah, it's yeah. Uh, and then my thought, which you and I both know is complete BS, is I'll just I'll listen to it a bunch on the plane. No, yeah. I won't. You'll be sleeping. I'm gonna watch movies. Yeah, watch sleep. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> I'll have so twenty hours before we and get I won't into do anything. Specific drum stuff, I'd like to stick on this. How do you handle to do lists and tasks a little bit? Like for 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 a good decade, I was very good about here's my to-do list and I prioritize what is urgent and, and important, what's urgent but not important. I have these little quadrants. Yes. But I've realized that once, you know, now that my life has become even more kind of day-to-day -day with these things, my urgent important becomes like 800 things. Yeah. So the list itself is – it doesn't make any sense. So I'm having to almost adopt, which is something I don't remember who it was. It was someone who worked – 
in the in the government about like you know how do you handle having eight hundred things to do when you're an assistant to whatever a congressman or something, and they and her answer was you can never have a to do list. It's literally what do you need to do right now at this very second? Do it, yeah. <laughs> you know, achieve that. Don't worry about yeah. what you need to do the next day. So I have five things that I try to do every day, and I've realized that doing those gives me what I consider to be a balanced meal for my day. And then on top of those five things that I'll get to in a second, there are the there there is what you said, which is um, this happened yesterday. Andrew Shreve from or the day before yesterday, Andrew Shreve from Gretsch called and was like, hey, man, did you get the box we sent you? I'm like, yeah, a little tiny box. I haven't opened it yet. Mm. And he's like, well, those are the those are the stickers that go inside your signature snare drum. Oh, We've been out. Of, we have of lots even. of drums. <laughs> we don't have any stickers. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. He's like, we need you to sign 300 of those right now. I'm like, oh, wow. oh OK. Well, OK. Well, there's the next two hours of my life. Yeah. Because at some point, I don't know if you've most people probably have never had to do this. I've never had to do it. I mean, maybe in the band days a little bit. But when you sign your own name or write any word, it's just like saying it out loud. Eventually, you can't do it anymore. <laughs> you cannot. It's a shape. It's not your name anymore. And it becomes this weird shape, and I can't make it happen anymore. Like, at right about 75 Mike Johnstons, it's Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson. And then it just turns into murr. That's why you need a stamp. Just <laughs> stamp it. Totally. And, and so uh, – yeah. So anyways, so those types of things, okay, that overrides what I was going to do. So my five things, it kind of goes in order of my day. My first thing is, and I literally have a checklist. Did I improve my physical fitness today? Usually I can check that off at 5.30 a.m. because mm. I go to my little workout class. So that that's what starts my day, triggers my metabolism, it triggers my energy. I'm good to go. The next thing is, did I feed the social media beast? If I can get that out of the way first thing in the morning, I don't have to think about it for the rest of the day. But it will hang over my head. A lot of my business comes from YouTube, Instagram, and it used to come from Facebook. Not so much anymore. So did I feed that beast and get it out of the way? That's number two. The third thing is did I add to Mike'sLessons.com? So what did I do to add to the website whether it's design or it's thinking about the website or what it is right now, which is film videos. So usually mm. the third thing I do, it goes fitness, feed the social media beast. Like this morning before you and I started this podcast, I put up a video of me playing yesterday's challenge that I put out on Instagram. I played a drum set version of it today um, based around it, – it's an exercise I did in my PASIC solo. So I've been doing this forever. But mm. it was – anyway, so I got that done. So what's cool is we're on the podcast right now. This is the next hour of our lives, and I don't have to think about Instagram. It's taken care of. I'm good to go. Mm -hmm. So then after we do this podcast, then I'll film lessons. That's me giving or feeding into Mike's Lessons, which is my business, and we all have our own business. We all have our own brand. And then uh, the next thing after that, which is my last thing, is did I – oh, I'm sorry. My fourth thing is – did I add to the Mike's Lessons family? So we have the social media side of the Mike's Lessons family, which is you guys pay money for this. I don't want you to ever feel that I give more attention to people on Instagram and YouTube that aren't paying anything yeah, right, than I yeah. do to you guys. Mm -hmm. So I have to give them daily some sort of access that the general public doesn't have. Like, look, 
let's drop the act. Here's the real version of me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's not like, what's up, guys? My God, you know, let's drop <laughs> or just it. reposting You're, the same thing you posted. For it, totally. Yeah. That is one thing I've never done. Like, hey, I don't know if you saw my Instagram post, but let me put it here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more like, hey, if you guys saw that Instagram post, let me show you what it took me to develop that. That's what I would do for them. Then the last thing I do before I go home is, did I improve my own playing as a drummer? So those are my five categories. Uh, mm. It's personal fitness, then feed the the social media engine, then uh, make something for mikeslessons.com, my business, then give to the people that are supporting that business, and then improve my drumming. So those are my five things that I – if I can do one thing for each of those five categories every day, it's a well-balanced diet. Unfortunately, things do get in the way. And, yeah. That's, I mean, that seems know, like a lot, actually, to, to achieve every day. It is, but keep in mind, I, I am here by myself from 7 a.m. until 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. So I've got 11 hours to get that done. And sometimes, right now, obviously, the website is getting the most attention because I'm trying to refilm all the content for the website. So that gets a huge chunk of time. So I spent maybe six minutes making my Instagram video this morning. I mm-hmm. filmed it, edited it while I was texting you about, are we ready to start? Let's mm-hmm. start. And I'm like, just cool. That's done. Um, and so I got that out of the way and it's kind of almost like, I don't know, the least amount of effort I can put into it while still being proud of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. That's out of my way, but I didn't give it my, I didn't go crazy on production. It was one camera and yeah. the camera was already set up. So anyway, so yeah, that's kind of what I do in a day. And then obviously something like this, mm-hmm. this is an hour going to be taken out of that yeah. thing. So what, you know, what's going to give, uh, I, and what you're going through, my God, I can only imagine there's 56 drum sets in your home <laughs> studio, just ready to be like recorded well, yeah. well, and 18 the other, microphones. That's the other anxiety of it is, is, when I don't take care of that stuff, like literally 30 products need to be reviewed, demoed, photographed, video. It's just right. waiting. I'm like, oh, my God, this is – again, I'm blessed to have the opportunity, but I sure could use a couple extra days. <laughs> and then I, I can only assume that then there must be – I have the luxury of working by myself, which is definitely not always the best because it's a lot of work to do for one person. But I can only assume, too, even when you do your job, you have a team. So then maybe yeah. you're waiting on someone else to do something or something got in your way because they're backed up on things. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, anyways, uh, so that's December, our therapy session. December 2nd, I'm going to be at. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> I am going to be in Clearwater, Florida on December 2nd at 7 p.m. I'm giving a uh, master class at All Access Recording. It is free. They are uh, accepting donations if you want to help contribute, but, you know, not expected. It is Modern Drummer Sponsor, Dream Ears, Drum Tacks, Saw Blade Head Designs, Drum Static, Spinelli Drums, uh, Bring Sticks, Bring a Pad. I'm going to be going full nerd for a couple hours. So that's Monday, December 2nd at 7 Are you a NASCAR racer? How many sponsorships do you have on your jersey? (laughs) Well, the thing is, I don't sponsor anything. That's cool. Yeah, I do. These are just companies that wanted to be a part of it. I'm like, cool, man. Anyone, Anyone and everyone, bring your stuff. We'll talk about it. I will not be, you know attached to any of it but can i give you the uh the lamenting of a an endorsed artist 
I was up late last night scrolling through Reverb, checking out Craviato Bop Kits. Oh, no. Oh, man, it was bad. And I'm like, and my wife looks over in bed at my iPad. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, nothing. And she's like, you can't, you can't even play it. Like, there's no, like, I'm like, I can't at home. She's like, well, then what? And I'm like, hey, babe, I don't know. I don't need it. It's just this thing. If you're a drummer and you're in your 40s, you've always wanted a Craviato. Uh, yeah, and yeah. you've also never heard one except for at NAMM. So I don't even know if they're any good. I just want one because they got that little ribbon through the middle of the toms. I just need that. Those cool little diamond plates on the tube lugs. Ugh. Yeah, it's an addiction. Oh, Let's just admit oh. it. It's an addiction. Yep. <laughs> crazy crazy all right let's get into it let's talk about some education yep. uh we've got one of our favorite drummers uh kiko freitas and he is speaking about some samba independence which is great because the video i just posted was uh on instagram was using some samba independence and how i built my samba independence obviously mine is what i would consider to be californian samba his is much more traditional mm. and uh i think that the same way that drummers in other countries can get tons of great influence from american jazz and american rock we can get tons of influence from brazilian rhythms cuban rhythms latin rhythms in general and this is an awesome article kind of showing that and i can tell you right now i had to sight read line number one and i was like oh my god we're back in syncopation yeah yeah, so the, the premise of this piece, uh, this is the second part. So this is, he's building drum set samba grooves based on tambourim patterns, which is the small single-headed drum that usually plays the real syncopated stuff in the traditional samba. So there's none of the, you know, Americanized play 1E and 2E and 1 and the 2 right. ride patterns. It's a syncopated right. figure. Um so that is your ostinato. And then can you play independently with the left hand, right foot, left foot underneath it? It's a whole other level. And I can give you a little bit of my experience trying to figure out how to do this. Okay. So the first example is the right hand part, which is the syncopated tambourine pattern. You want to play yes. it? You want to play it, Mike? <laughs> sure. I'll give it, I'll, I'll sight read this biscuit. Okay, do it. Uh, Let's oh god oh, oh my oh my hand my palms are getting sweaty uh, let's see you want me to play the pickup note as well your water getting sweaty my palms oh. <laughs> what do you think I said not palms <laughs> does it rhyme with crawls yeah maybe <laughs> oh my god no I wouldn't even I would, all right play the rhythm uh, for God's sake okay would you like me to play the pickup note of course. Okay. Oh, God. You're going to have to edit this out. One, two, one, two. Right. So right away, my brain says, I've heard this before. We all learn it starting in the second half. So start in bar two. Okay. Oh, my God. Yeah, right? Wow. I didn't even. Yeah, I had no idea how. <laughs> That was way easier. I should have played <laughs> bar two in my head and then started on bar one. Um, yeah, okay, so so keep going. Okay, so for me, I, was, I sight read it. I was like, okay, that's, that seems really foreign, but somehow familiar. Why? So I had to unpack it. Like, oh, this is like a 3-2 clave pattern, but you're starting on the uh, – you're playing it backwards or something. So to get just the feeling of the phrase, which I played bump, 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 bump a million times. So I just sure. played it to where I'm comfortable with it rememorized it and then said okay now can i start on the second bar which is how he notates in the first bar 
So the whole point was, I don't want to be reading this rhythm. I want to memorize the phrase. Because when I went down to number five and tried to sight read it, which is that exact same pattern with the left hand playing two sixteenth notes on the beat, my body just couldn't do it. Absolutely. If I tried to sight read it, no freaking way. So I had to go back and just re-memorize the right hand phrase, put that on autopilot just like a jazz ride pattern, and then layer in that left hand. That was the only way that I could unpack it. Sight reading it, no way. These four example, these four beats in example five, Yeah, I don't think they're sight readable in, unless you know, oh, the right hand is playing that figure that we've all learned. No, 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 no. I mean, you'd have to be at like 20 BPM to sight read that yeah. the way it's written. <clears throat> and by the way, in number five, uh, I don't know if he mentions in the article, but at this point, it's only two hands. All of this can be done on a practice pad. Yeah. And yep. it drives me nuts when people always say, like, I can't get to a kit. I'm like, do you know how much drum set work you can do on yeah. a pad? Yeah, exactly. M- more than enough. So for me, I-, I always tell my students, if you can just play loop something long enough, I promise you will rewire your brain and eventually you will not have to think about it. Mm-hmm. Just wait. I mean, the you know, like all of our traditional Cuban patterns and our Mambo Bell patterns – those are the exact same thing. They were impossible for me until one day it, it, it went from being numbers and syncopated rhythms into a sound. And it was like, okay, uh, can you just do that right hand? Cool. I'm going to go devote my attention to my left hand. Yeah. Now, one thing that I do with this that might be slightly different than you, let's say line number one of number five. Mm-hmm. As soon as I somewhat had the right hand part down, I would only do the first two notes of the left hand, and I would loop that forever and mm. ever and ever. And then I, I would do the the first four notes of the left hand. I've got so to try that. E, yeah. Two E. Because I, I just immediately like throw the whole thing together and then let my brain kind of you know, go from thinking of one side, one side, and just back and forth. Yeah, sorry, we were paused for a second, but we're back now. <laughs> did you hear anything I said? <laughs> I did, yeah, yeah. But you were just responding to me going like, and uh, we're done. Yeah, so I don't. I need to start doing that because as soon as I get one pattern, I'm like, all right, let me just try the whole thing. And then it usually takes, it's kind of like a kaleidoscope where it's super blurry and doesn't make any sense. And all of a sudden the whole thing comes into focus. Yep. I think your approach is probably way more logical. I should be more patient and try that. It's well. The one thing that I can say out of it is I can, I can go so much deeper in that way because those first two notes, instead of me seeing number five, uh, the first um, phrase of it, let's just call it the downbeats. Instead of seeing that as an entire exercise, I see each downbeat as an exercise. So those two notes, one e. I would play them on the snare, the rack, the floor. I'd sweep them. I'd split them up. And because I know that whole time that I think I'm experimenting with those two notes, and it would be one E and one E and, well, you know, one E, one E, one E, one E. While I'm doing that, I'm reinforcing that right-hand pattern a million times in a row. I can say – I just forgot that I was even working on that. As you were talking, I did your approach, tapping lightly on my legs, and I Uh learned the whole pattern by the time you were done explaining that. Like, okay, cool. Boom. So what took me yesterday to the point, I feel like I was falling off a bike for like five minutes. Like, oh, my God, how do you – I'm riding a unicycle. So I did exactly what you said. I played the right-hand part, dropped in one beat, played the whole right-hand part, then added the next one, then added the next one. And then by the time you were done explaining, I think I've got the pattern. <laughs> All I have to do is keep talking and anyone can learn anything. 
<laughs> There's your challenge. Maybe that's how you practice. So listen to Mike talk and then And then be like, screw it. I'll just play while he just keeps vamping <laughs> on this thing. So yeah, so that's that is the way that my brain has always had to make these things work. I was introduced to world rhythms, if you want to call it that, probably when I was late high school, you know, maybe senior year. And I just couldn't exactly what you said, I couldn't sight read this stuff. Mm. But it was funny is I could sight read American syncopated funk for some reason if there was a snare on two and four yeah I could sight read a Garibaldi groove I could you know slow obviously but those when I got to this stuff it was just the fact that I guess American pop music and rock music had taught me that my right hand will play straight eighths straight quarters or straight sixteenths but those are the only options I have a theory about that okay I think when someone writes a drum set beat like Dave Garibaldi He's writing it with all four limbs involved. So it makes sense physically for this thing to be wired together. Where these patterns, we're playing the parts of two different human beings. So, we weren't meant to do this on one instrument. Yeah, correct? it's, a, it's a kind always, of an illogical juxtaposition. Yeah. But musically, these things work so well together because yeah. they were written with, hey man, I know you're not the most talented cat in the world, but you can play this, right? Don't, don't. Yeah, I'll do that. Cool. I'll be over here going, ding, 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 ding. And I think one thing that I love about these grooves, we talked about it on the last podcast, is when they finally do come together, you're not playing beats, you're playing music on the instrument that we're used to playing beats and fills on, but you're actually playing music and people can listen to it all by itself without any accompaniment. And they're like, man, that's really cool. And you play some six eight Afro Cuban stuff with your snares off, and all of a sudden your entire instrument is making music, and that's what this stuff gives us. So, I I have to say, I mean, this thing. It's funny. I just talked to Yos Nickel on Instagram about this because he's like, "Hey, that thing you just did on Instagram yesterday is in my new book," and I I told him I said, "Look, man, huh. this stuff, <laughs> this stuff is a grid. Well, this I mean, has been that's, around. That's Steve Steve Rice." Right, this whole thing. That's his whole premise of composition is Bro, displacing this is, rhythms. It, it, this is this is it. it it's been <laughs> around. And what I said, I said, we are the lucky educators that are allowed to reintroduce this age-old stuff to a new generation of drummers. Right. That is our role. Our role is not to take credit for it. Our role is to reintroduce it with a new passion and say – like, because I had so many people yesterday when I put up that pad exercise, which I don't know if you saw it, but it's groupings of three, and the left hand is just shifting through the grid. Mm-hmm. I can't think of anything more common than that. And people had their minds blown because they'd never seen it before. Mm. So it was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm assuming you don't own New Breed. I'm assuming you don't own yeah. Future Sounds with the syncopation chapter. I mean, the uh, permutations chapter. This has been around forever. It's just. Sometimes people haven't seen it yet. They just started playing drums. How would they see it? You I mean, know? so yeah. Thankfully for me, with drumline, that was just always a thing. Snare drums play this version. Bass drums play the displaced version one. Tenors play right. displaced version two. And then we're all totally. getting this. You know, can we still maintain our lane while everyone else shifts around? Yes. Not to mention, it's a great way to learn things is to have a specific rhythm and or anything and be able to hear it in different places. You know, if we have. Uh, uh, say paradiddles, paradiddle. Uh, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. You know, being mm-hmm. able to hear it in a different place, I find that is the kind of work on the drum set that gets you out of trouble. 
Mm because nothing screws you up. It's like, man, I've heard this thing everywhere. So when I accidentally get it stuck, like, oh, we are on the ease now. No big (laughs) deal. I've been here before. This isn't unfamiliar territory. God, I'm fired up today. (laughs) Well, I'm just happy to report that I can finally play the first line of example five in Somber Rhythms Part 2 from the (laughs) December issue. (laughs) Thank you very much. I'm sure Kiko's like, oh, that's great. This is what we teach children in Brazil. Yeah, because like, on the second yeah. page, he's saying, oh, yeah, now let's put the left foot on the E's and let's put the left foot on a three-beat cycle. Yeah. When nah. I saw number seven, I was like, well, that's illegal. You're not allowed to do that, right? <laughs> in samba, it can only be on the ands. It yeah. couldn't possibly be in those, oh, the, the groupings of three? Like by the time yeah. you get to the Forget fourth or fifth bar? Forget nah, about it. I'm Forget good. about it. Nope, I'm going to stick with number five. That's my win for the day. Sweet. All right. (laughs) If you guys want to be challenged, go check out Around the World by Kiko Freitas. And follow him on Instagram. Doesn't speak a lot in English, but you don't really need that because he'll just speak quickly and then he'll play something. And you can just watch. And he really is one of the most beautiful drummers in the world to listen to play. I I mean, he's definitely somebody that can make music with the instrument. We want to thank our sponsors, Dream Symbols. You should go to Dream Symbols' Facebook page uh, right now if you haven't already and check out. They just signed the legendary jazz fusion drummer, uh, Paul Wertico, and they posted a nice uh, a nice solo of Paul just improvising on some various Dream Symbols. Um, I think it's a great a great pairing with Paul being you know well-known for his cymbal touch and his creativity and Dream Symbols having beautiful symbols that are very creative and inspiring. So we're going to see a lot of cool stuff coming from our friends at Dream and Paul. Um, so definitely check all that out. And this episode is also brought to you by Simmons Drums. Simmons Drums just recently put out the new SD1200 electronic drum kit, which has mesh, pad, mesh pads, a custom sound library with some vintage and world percussion, a really big, easy-to-read screen, um, Bluetooth connectivity, USB connectivity. There's also an iOS app that allows you to customize the kits and do some sampling so you can create your own sounds. And this kit is available uh, online at musiciansfriend.com. It's also available at Guitar Center stores. So if you go to simmonsdrums.net, you can get more details. On to another beautiful World Grooves drummer. This is our featured artist, John Longstreth. So who I could have swore was not from the United States. He couldn't be a more American drummer <laughs> when you hear him and talk. By the way, he's not a World Grooves drummer. <laughs> we'll, we'll drop in some audio. <laughs> um, I I know it's so funny as a, you know, most of Meinl's team, and I call it a team because we are a team and a family and we all support each other. Most of us know each other. I don't know how long he's been a Meinl artist. Um, I don't know much about him. I just have seen him in a few videos of of recent times and he's incredible, man. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a thing where, thankfully, this job that I have actually schools me on on some things. Like, I had no idea anything about this band. I knew of or, Origin is there's like a maybe a '70s like new age band called Origin. Mm. So when, okay. when I got pitched a story, I'm like, wow, that band's still together. Cool, let's check it out. And then it came in. I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute, this isn't new age music at all. It's definitely not. So. You know, we've had requests for more coverage on extreme metal drummers. I've since learned that John, um, again, my own ignorance, he's kind of cream of the crop. He's he's been in a bunch of bands. He's currently in the band Origin. Um, so, what I thought maybe let's just start with some footage of him. So, these uh, we're going to drop in a couple of things that he filmed for Minor Symbols. They're on YouTube. So, if you look up John Longstreth, 
minor symbols, you're going to find some really nice play-alongs. He's playing some origin songs, so let's check out um, Invariance Under Transformation. Transformation. So in those fast double bass blistering sections, if you watch the foot cam, he couldn't possibly look more relaxed. And it does look like he's – I could see if you're not an experienced drummer, you would call him out for sampling this because you'd be like, dude, you're playing slow 16th notes. Mm. Yeah, no. When When you see it, but no. Yeah, he's playing really smooth double strokes with his feet, which the first person I remember doing that was Virgil Donati going back 20 years. So it doesn't yep. it doesn't surprise me that now this is just standard in this world. Right. You have to be able to do this, but it still blows my mind when I see fluid double strokes with with the feet. I mean, it's insane. It's it's smooth as all get out. And another thing, when you hear this style of music, you envision you know pyro and just craziness and chaos and hair he's so incredibly relaxed when he plays and i wonder if that's just because of how physically demanding the parts are that you couldn't possibly be back there going bananas you wouldn't be able to play this stuff yeah you know i don't i think yeah this is something where i would love to go to a gig and just be on the side stage to kind of hear the amount of volume that he's putting out my guess is going to be he's actually hitting a lot harder than you think it's just he's not using a lot of movement, but right. who knows? Like when I see Gene Hoagland, I'm like, man, that guy's really getting a lot of sound out of the drums. But yeah, I just mean like he's he's almost zen like back there. Mm-hmm. He's so in control, and I can only assume it's because of how intricate the parts are, and he just has to have his wits about him. He can't be just going bananas and crazy and still play this stuff. I don't um, know. Yeah, and I could be precise. I mean, it's it's so much yeah. precision. I mean, yeah, I, I assume he does have triggers on the kick, but even still, you've got to play the rhythms. I mean, the rhythms are still right. coming. If, if they were dirty doubles, it would just be very articulate, dirty doubles. Yeah, I was going to say it would be worse. There's nothing to cover it up. It'd be <laughs> yeah. so – I mean, that if it is a sample or not, it's such a staccato sound that if you're not insanely precise. So – and I could see why he would be so in demand because if that is the case and you're and you bring in somebody that's not precise to play your music, you're gonna be in the studio for a very long time or your producer's gonna have a nightmare of a job trying to yeah. move over every single bass drum to Just the grid. MIDI the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so is he touring right now? We caught up with know? him. I'm not sure where they're at at the moment, but we caught up f- with him for a gearing up story when he was coming through New York a couple of months back to to do you know the hang out with him at a gig, shoot his kit, and kind of talk more about his setup, um, which is pretty interesting. So it's pretty much a perfectly symmetrical kit in a way. Yeah, I mean yep. with only one bass drum, but still he's got. Even down to like the symbols themselves are the exact same crash on the left and right, exact same China, exact same Mega Bell ride, uh, which that seems to be also a new is trend. Weird. That's an 18 inch Mega Bell ride. Yeah, right. Prototype. Right? So that, I don't think that's available. That's that's like a frying pan with a flange. <laughs> that is weird, man. Uh, that is quite weird. But I also wonder where this this sort of symmetry ambidextrous thing 
developed because I see that a lot with with the Travis genre. Orban, Tra- um, but Mangini has been doing it yeah, forever. Good point. Yep, I think yep. even Hoagland and because he plays left hand lead, I believe. But it it, it seems to make sense because then you don't have to cross over and trip yourself up playing these blistering right. tempos. But again, that's commitment. You've got to learn to play the instrument essentially from both yep. sides. And I mean, same thing even to having a a floor tom on both sides of the snare where we would normally have a side snare he's got another floor tom yeah so needless to say they're not just going to show up at the local pub and and, and sit in and play <laughs> yeah ah, man that's that my fear is i show up at the local pub and this is the dude and this kid. is the kid <laughs> yeah and i'm like oh god oh god i'm not ready for this what, what is this madness doing? So let's talk about uh, these cymbal sounds. So you mentioned before we started recording, like I think I reviewed the, this classic custom dark, and it was kind of for me. It was like the, you know, I don't want to like talk about two different companies, but it's kind of like the Pisces Rude, but a little bit more open. Like they just punch. They do what they need to do. They punch, yeah. and that's it. They get out of the way. I think I think all cymbal companies are trying to help out rock drummers and metal drummers with a line of cymbals. That where they can say, look, you don't need B20 bronze for this. You don't need hand hammering in Turkey for this. You're mm-hmm. going to hit them so hard. Let's let's drop those costs for you. You're also in a specific genre where you're going to crack symbols. It does not matter what company you play for. If you abuse these things, they're going to crack. And they get it. Like, I mean, you hope that the ANRs and the development teams for these companies have at least been to a club in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, dude, this is what's happening. I, I know I should play with great technique and I should swipe the cymbals. But you know what? I, I'm, I'm sorry. It's a rock band. We're going for it. So I like when cymbal companies create a line like this that is helpful to the drummer cost-wise. Uh, and then sound-wise, yeah, you're rarely going to tap this kind of cymbal. Yeah. And we've talked about in the past how you and I would never in a million years play Rudes. Oh, my gosh, Eloy Casagrande sounds amazing with them. Yeah. If you hit them hard enough, they do their job. Their job is to get on top of these massive guitars, these huge bass cabs. And these – I have the classic customs darks here. And what's funny is our campers get used to playing my cymbals. And they say, mm-hmm. hey, can we have a rock night? I'm like, yeah, let me throw on the classic customs darks. As soon as I do, they're like, those sound terrible. Mm, yeah. I'm like, cool. So then we play our songs. Yeah. And they're like, those are the best symbols ever. <laughs> like, yeah, well, they're not they're not meant for Benny to sit down and like be artsy with them. They're meant yeah. to, you, you gotta hit them. So I think I think they're fantastic. But what I was telling you is when I listened to that exact song that we just played, okay, so you trigger the drums, maybe. I, I don't know, but maybe you do. Can't trigger the cymbals. That's what those yeah. cymbals sound like. I mean, you can mix them the best you can, but those cymbals sound fantastic in that genre. And I think it's great that companies, you know, it seems like Instagram has caused these companies to be in a boutique race, mm-hmm. which they shouldn't be in. Let the boutique companies be boutique, but you don't have to only make the greatest symbol that ever existed. You have to make the right symbol for the right genre. And I like yeah. when companies do that. Um, and I think most of the companies do do that. It's yeah. just this thing where it's like, just they did okay, it like you're 20 trying to years go. ago. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the A Customs came out in what, 91 or something? Right. They do what they do. I was do. like, dude, these are awesome. And, and then when people say, oh, man, but no, I, I can't use the A Custom because I'm doing this thing. It's like, well, that's why they make the Coropes. Right. You don't, yeah. not every, you know, I think it's good to have a good spectrum of symbols that cover sound so that whatever you're playing, 
it, it it does bum me out when people are like, well, what's the best drum set to get? I'm like, I don't know. You have to tell me what you're doing with it. Yeah, it's impossible. Yeah, that's impossible. Yeah. Symbol's the same yeah. thing. I mean, I've, I've made the mistake totally. of taking some of the most nuanced, or, you know, expressive symbols to gigs, and I didn't realize we we're going to be so loud. So then it's like you're just whiffing all night. Like, yeah. there's nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, okay, that's the uh, 22-inch Kleenex crash. Great. Sounds like freaking wet paper. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I I totally agree, and I just I thought that those symbols sat in really well with what he's playing, and I will you know I I don't want to be too biased because obviously I'm a Minel artist, but we were all around when Minel made a decision, and I have to give credit to Chris Brewer. He was the one that did it, made a decision to go after the metal genre, yeah. and it was. All of a sudden, it was like, wait, half of the Vans Warp Tour are playing Minels, and half of mm-hmm. Ozfest is now playing Minel, and they went for that thing, and and I think they, they did a good job. So, what uh, what kit is he playing? He no. has got a Pearl Reference. Um, so they've got him and Halpern. They're going after the Rock dudes. Yeah, and it's a you know it's a small ish kit for this, and maybe mm-hmm. that's standard. Again, I'm so ignorant to this world, but I just my my. 90s metal brain just thinks giant drums and yeah. but he's got a you know a 14 inch floor tom he's got a 14 and 16 inch floor tom 10 and 12 rack a 20 inch bass drum um and just one snare i mean it's it's a it's kind of like a fusion kit um yeah with a bunch of cymbals so yeah yeah it's a fusion drum set right a fusion cymbal set but i, I want to mention something before we move on and it's something that I don't think enough drummers of any genre recognize, and I'm really happy that he talked about this in the article, is that he is soliciting advice from his front of house guy on how to play the drum set. Mm-hmm. Because he realizes that drums sound way different when you're sitting behind them than what the audience is getting and what's coming out of the front of the drums. And the fact that his sound guy is saying, hey, lay off the chinas and don't, mm-hmm. don't go so crazy on those rim shots – you're rim shotting, but you're playing blast beats at 300 BPM. We can't hear any of the notes because you're yeah. rim shotting. Yeah, yeah. And I love there's it. It takes most drummers a long time. Most drummers won't really get that until they actually start touring or gigging nightly, and then they realize it's it's usually when someone else sits in on your kit and you're like, well, it's not what my kit sounds like. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, that's how your kit's been sounding all night. You've just been sitting behind it, which is a very different experience than what the audience is getting. And yeah. so the fact that he's saying that most of his push is coming from his front of house guy uh to change his sound i think that's awesome yeah so um john you've got a new fan in me i'm going to be digging into his playing a lot more hopefully those of you listening who aren't familiar with origin or the rest of john longstress um discography you know do a deep dive there's a lot of stuff on youtube to kind of get going um and i also noticed there's something in his kit that is going to be my pick of the week i'm changing it i'm not going to talk about it yet but what i always forget about that one one element of his kit so that's going to be my pick of the week we will get to later but let's uh let's end off this segment with another clip this is into the storm of steel Now it's time to get into some candy. 
We get to talk about your good friend and someone that's definitely making a name for himself in the symbol industry, and that is Mr. Nicky Moon. So what are we looking at here? Okay, so this this is kind of the opposite of what we were just talking about with the Minol Classics Custom uh, Dark. The Nicky Moon, a New York, New Jersey-based custom symbol maker who literally gets blank symbol you know, symbol blanks from Brazil and Turkey and hammers the snot out of them himself in his own workshop, has his own lathe, does all of it. Literally one, one man does everything. Um, so over the past few years, he's been experimenting with all different types of recipes of, you know, what type of finish, what type of lathing, what type of hammering, what's the profile, what's the cup. So he has all these different series. And then he decided, well, if I want to take my favorite attributes of all of these what would it be? And that's what he's called the one series. So the meaning wow. of, this, of the line, the one series symbols, is it's one line that has everything that I like about everything else. So Wow, okay. In his mind, this is the, you know, the end of the line. This is the, the best that I can produce okay. combined with everything that I make. Um, so they are B20. And we got we got a whole set. So he, he dropped off twelve and fourteen inch hi hats, eighteen inch crash, and a twenty and a twenty two inch ride. But you know it's a fully custom catalog. So you can also get thirteen and fifteen inch hi hats, probably sixteens if you wanted. Um, Eighteen twenty inch crash rides. You know pretty much any size. I believe up to twenty four inch ride. Um, so yeah, so we got our hands on the first set, and it was pretty amazing. When he told me he sold the twenty two inch ride. I kind of wanted to smack him. I was like, "Dude, you just that you just sold the Holy Grail ride, and like you should have no. kept that." But he was like, "Ah, eh, I can make another one." That's what I like about. Him. I was like, "I can make another one." Like, dude, when I hit that thing, I was like, "This is special." <laughs> really? He's wow. Like, eh, okay. I can do it again. No worries. <laughs> Man, that's cool. Because I mean, you've kind of seen everything in the world come and go through the Modern Drummer offices. So, for someone symbol to impress you, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, and it was. Yeah, and it was just one of those where you hit it, you're like, oh, these all sound great. You hit that one, you're like, hmm, let me hit it again. And then you grab another stick, a different size stick. I'm like, oh, okay, right. there's some magic in this bad boy. But And yeah. this is what we're about to hear? This is what's on the right side of your kit? Yeah, so I think I've got the 14 hats in the main spot, the 18, the 20. Where is the 18? I, the, I think the 20 is on your left. Yeah, the, the 22 ride. Left. Yep. And then the, and 18 then the 18s is off to right. the right, and I have the 12s on a on a remote hat underneath the ride. So yeah, let's check them out.
Well, first of all, I didn't. He's calling the. Oh, is the twenty a ride? Yeah, it's not a crash. Technically a ride. Yeah. Okay. I was like, man, that thing's got crazy stick definition for a crash. Okay. So that's so the only crash that's on your kit is that eighteen. Yeah, and that eighteen to me was like crash symbol. That's what they're supposed to sound like. I hit that. I was like, that's the one. That's the that is the one. No pun intended. Right. But yeah, that that twenty two. Yeah, special. And you got there. That was something extra. So what I kind of found with these symbols was, you know, there's other stuff available that maybe has more character and a little bit more, like, quirky and funky. Mm. But this was like, okay, this is beautiful. Like, it's just beautiful. There's none of it. It's not trashy. It's not super dry. It's not, like, it's not not trendy. Like, this is going to be a timeless instrument for the rest of time. And I think that's what he succeeded with this series, which is kind of contrary to what is kind of happening in the industry, where it's just like it's very trendy. It's very like, what's the most unique version of a 22 inch ride we can create this year? Whereas this yeah. is like, this is the sound we've all been chasing for 100 years. And there it is. Cool. I have that now. You can do all the funky stuff too, but now there's right. that, that Tony Williams ride symbol. There it is. Um, yeah. And so that was like the most kind of unique one. I felt like the hi-hats were just great-sounding hi-hats. They kind of sounded like vintage A's with, you know, that have been well taken care of. Um, and the 18-inch was just a great crash, the 20, a little bit washy. But, yeah, these are just, you Now, know. If, if somebody wants to get these, I'm assuming they're um, just going to go to the website, nickymoon.com? Yeah, yeah, just hit him up. Okay. Yep, he can, he'll literally, you order it, he'll hammer it out for you. <laughs> And you can tell him the weight. So he's he's very specific about the weights that we were given. That 22, if you want him to try to replicate it for you. Um, where is it? It is 2,497 grams. So if you say, I want a 22-inch one, 1 Series ride at 2,497 grams. You mean when you say, I want a... <laughs> That's awesome. I uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm highly tempted. I would love to have him send something even just on loan for our campers to check out because I feel like obviously, you know, as much as I would love to have a stash of Zildjian, Sabians, and Pisces here, it's it's just not going to happen yeah. um, with the way things are. But I think having – this is almost like how I have so many boutique snares. Mm-hmm. I'm obviously a Gretsch guy, but look, I love drums. I would love to have – a 21 inch version of one of his rides or a set of hi-hats just on loan for the campers to check out so they could know like, Hey, that stuff you love about snare drums. There are, there is someone that's doing that for cymbals too. Yeah. If you really want to go that boutique level, yeah, um, there's and somebody doing it. So yeah, I could say that whatever, what I noticed about what he makes is it's just one person doing it all. So therefore it's not going to leave his shop until he's hundred percent satisfied where, you know, maybe something yeah. from a factory. It's someone, someone has to say, dude, you've been working on that symbol long enough. We've got to get it out of here. So right. like I found that none of his stuff has any of that like extraneous hum or stuff that, you know, over time, a symbol, you'll work it out on, on a more factory made symbol, but he's right. kind of done it for you. So you're getting like a pre-aged, you know, fully mature symbol right away so yeah cool stuff Um, and you guys on their on their we'll just keep talking over each other i don't care um on their (laughs) on his website (laughs) nickymoon.com uh if you click on rides or crashes or hi-hats 
whatever one you see, because obviously the the drum nerd in you will love all of his symbols because they just look amazing. But you can just click on it, and then you can actually get a video of him playing it or it being played, so you can kind of hear what these things sound like. Um, yeah, that's so. it. check them Very out. Very cool stuff. Yeah, and also he does. Um, he'll do. He'll rework, relay, rehammer anything you have that you're not happy with. So you know, hit him up. He's done a lot of mods of just old clunkers I've had, and they've become my like gigging symbols. So nice. that's that. Nikki Moon, check him out. All right, so question time. Bring it on. All right. Oh, man. By the way, Rupp's Drums just reposted our podcast where we talked about the Nate Smith Clinic, and they put up a bunch of pictures from how I was telling you Nate Smith, they took him to a whiskey distill- oh, distillery. Oh, right, right, right. They put up a bunch of pictures from it that I hadn't seen before. It's really cool. So there you go. Uh, Rupp's Smart. Drums, thank you guys for the support, and we're happy to support you guys back. All right. So let's go. we got a few here we can probably slam through them. This one's from Lutz. Um, Mike Johnston often talks about how about drums that are tuned for microphones, usually associated with Ash Stone, how where they might sound quote unquote like crap in the room, but amazing on a PA or on a recording. Could you describe that sound in detail and how to get it and how to tune the drums like this, please? <laughs> uh, of course, you yeah, want totally. all the answers. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Yeah, come to my drum camp. Hell, come to Ash Stone's drum camp. We'll see you uh, at 21 Drums 2020. Uh, and No, uh, it's not quite that simple because I'm saying that that's what sounds good for what Ash is trying to go for. And I, I, I want to backtrack or at least take back part of that statement. The drums definitely don't sound like crap, but they definitely don't sound like – when you hear them, you're like, oh, I thought that would sound better. But then when you go into the control room and listen to how they were recorded, that's yep. when you go, wow. Um, so – it, to give you the shortest answer possible, the heads are way looser than you could possibly imagine. Yeah. he. Um, I think he even posted a couple maybe Instagram TV or something videos where it's like my quick tuning of how I do this or that. And the one I remember was the Toms. Yep. He, was, he's, he was using small 10 and 13, I think. So a 10-inch yep. rack and a 13-inch floor. So the trick is in that clip, he tunes it normal, medium, like we all do, and then just detunes one of the lugs all the way down. That gives it that kind of compressed, kind of dead slap, and slap sound that the microphone just loves. Yeah, I mean, we were joke. We've we. It's like every year that we do the Twenty One Drums Camp, it's like we haven't. It's kind of like the same jokes keep coming up because we haven't seen each other in a year. Mm-hmm. But Ash gets his kit going, I get my kit going, Mark gets his kit going, and every time it's Ash's ten. Versus Mark's kick, which is lower. <laughs> and it's always Ash's 10-inch tom is lower than Mark's kick. Every time. <laughs> Even if Mark's doing like the beat music stuff, still that 10 yeah. is lower than Mark's kick. So, Okay, next one is from Todd. Regarding drum notation, I've seen some music where they, all the notes are tied together, I guess with the stems going up, and then mm-hmm. others separate the hand and foot patterns, uh, which is more often what we do in the magazine. Is there an appropriate time to use a certain method of transcription, or is it just a preference thing? We need a whole episode on this. Yeah, maybe just you and I can give our quick quick uh, treatise on it. Yeah, I, I can say that as an educator, I have to be totally okay with both because I don't get to choose how somebody wrote a book. Mm-hmm. Um. There are times – it depends on the grooves. There are times – like I will say in the world groove world. In the world groove world? Yes. In the world <laughs> in the groove world. In the world of world grooves. In the world of – what in the wide, wide world of world grooves is going on here? So in the world of world grooves, 
if you tie all of the stems together, it's very hard for me to read. Mm. I kind of need the ostinato on the bottom and my hands on the top. Yep. In syncopated funk, it makes it way easier than trying to see this massively syncopated bass drum pattern that's like sight reading all on its own. But mm-hmm. I'm like, just tie it all together and I can just read it one note at a time. So I'm a fan of both in different situations. Uh, the Groove Scribe writes in a certain way and there are times where I wish I could make it right the other way mm-hmm. just because of what I'm doing. So honestly, for me, the note, the actual thing that I'm writing is what kind of determines my preference, but I'm okay with either. Yeah, 100%. It's if if the pattern itself is, is more linear and all the limbs are involved in the pattern, then we will tie them all together. If it's clear that one or two limbs are playing its own rhythm and the other two limbs are playing something counter to that, they'll be separated. That's yeah. that's my rule of thumb. And it all no, comes down, like you perfect. said, it's what makes it easier to comprehend, what makes it easier to read, you know. Yeah, we're not trying to make reading like this thing where I bet I can stump you with this. It's like I need to get you there as fast as possible so yeah. you can get off of the notation and start playing music. So, yeah, both. Boom. All right. Um, this one's from – let's see. Where do we want to go here? Um, let's go with Steve. Can you share your thoughts on planned hi-hats in a recording environment, including any wisdom you've gleaned from other pros um, in terms of choice, touch, technique, etc.? This is a great question. Again, we could probably talk for an hour about it. I just had to deal with it this morning. So where do we go with this? (laughs) Well, uh, first thing is depending on the genre. Genres are the the thing that throws a wrench into everything because – Whatever we say, someone's going to go, well, I saw Taylor Hawkins do it. And it's like, all right, well, mm-hmm. yeah, that was respectful to the genre. I would say just in recording the campers, 90% of the time with the intermediate campers, I have to tell them to play their hi-hats much quieter. Yeah, I think that's across the board. I think that yep. would be every professional session drummer will tell you, don't play the hi-hats too loud. It will ruin your, your mix faster than right. anything else. And along those same lines, I'm always trying to use the thinnest darkest sounding symbols i can get away with for the type of sound i need to get i totally agree i mean i I don't mind that my gear helped me out a little bit uh, Mm -hmm. you know and uh so yeah so i think with that and then the other thing is i think that people will find a physical habit that they don't know is shaping their sound so a lot of drummers that got stuck on the down up thing for eighth fast eighth notes or Mm -hmm. 16th notes they don't know that it's not only helping you get through it physically, but you're also going chit, chit, chit. Well, I might not want that. Right, yeah. Um, and I think watching Ash Stone play a shuffle in real time and going like, whoa, his stick's way on top of that hi-hat. It's like, well, that's why it's so delicate sounding yeah. on the hi-hat. Yeah. He's not going chit, 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 So same motion, but tip of the stick, top of the hat. So I think exploring the hi-hat, recording yourself more importantly, but recording yourself and exploring the hi-hat – is a key and one thing I would recommend everyone do only because I've had to go through it and now I know you deal with it with the demos just for a while record yourself with a single overhead and find out what you really sound like yeah because yeah. that's that's when it's like oh man the hi-hats are too loud well you can you can turn them down play them quieter yeah <laughs> right you know you are the mix when you have a single overhead so yeah so this morning I'm I'm playing the kind of powerful 80s kind of inspired rock song and all the courses 
big open sloshy hi-hats but i know each time i get to that chorus that open sloshy hi-hat needs to be a third of the volume of the verse when i'm when i'm when i'm supposedly playing quieter you know when the groove is quieter in the verse my hi-hat is actually louder than when i'm playing full-on in the chorus with the sloshy hi-hats it's a whole different level of independence that that if you don't think about it you'll never you know that's just one of those missing links i think between someone who knows how to record drums and someone who's knows how to play drums but doesn't know how to record it the other thing is where are you going to put the snare drum mic and where are you going to put your hi-hats in relation to that snare drum mic mm-hmm. that's, that's something i'm always messing with because where i want the hi-hat to be is kind of right where the microphone should be for the snare drum like further right. out into the kit so i've had to learn to bring the hi-hats closer to my shoulder so I'm playing oh, more, wow. for, you know, there's a bigger gap between the hi-hat and the rack tom. That way I can put the mic there and I can shield it or whatever I need to do. So messing around with the microphone placement is going to be huge as well. But, yeah, yep. moral of the story, hit them a lot quieter. Yeah, if you're playing general pop funk fusion and you see your right stick go past your eyes on every stroke, if it, like a winch, if it gets past <laughs> your nose... You're hitting way too hard. If it's like, <laughs> you're just going way too hard. How many times have you whacked yourself in the eye or the nose? <laughs> the worst is whacking yourself in the ear while wearing in-ears. Oh, it's just, bang! And you're just like, well, okay, we've got the uh, Zilbel in my ear for the next eight minutes. Great. Oh, goodness. <laughs> and on stage when you can't show it, when you just want to go, <laughs> but you can't, you have to be like, all right. September? Sure. Here we go. Huh. Two. Oh, man. All right. So send your questions in mdinfo at monodrummer.com. We're trying to get through the stack as quickly as we can. I know there's been some here been backed up for a while. Maybe we'll do an all-listener question episode here in the future. But for now, keep them coming. mdinfo at monodrummer.com. Let's get to picks of the week. All right. My pick of the week is an Instagram account and a friend. His name is Corey Strange. If you don't follow follow Corey Strange, this is not because I want you to follow him as a drummer, even though he is a fantastic drummer. Uh, he's an amazing artist. And you, if you've seen any faces on any of the low boy beaters, he's the guy that's putting the faces on low boy beaters. Oh, cool. And he just draws a lot of stuff. So his Instagram account is cmstrange, at cmstrange. And he dropped off some drawings that he did of the minor groove bell and mm. of a picture of me and it's just hand drawn pencil on paper cool stuff you know and it was cool he came in yesterday stopped by and uh he just opened he had his notebook with him he just opened it up and ripped out two pages here you go little oh, shed wow. marks cool. falling on the floor i'm like <laughs> awesome man this is like high level art and he's just ripping it out of his notebook like no big deal and uh and it's just really cool. And and he's uh, they're starting to hang his art at uh, Drum Center of Portsmouth and stuff like nice. that. And I just love the fact that he's doing it in an industry where you kind of know when you do anything in the drum industry, it's a small industry. Mm-hmm. You could do it in a bigger industry and turn it into an enterprise and all this stuff. But he's just doing it because he loves our industry. And you know, he started off by just on his breaks at work sketching out an A&F snare drum because he was bored. And then... All of a sudden, mm-hmm. ANF reposts it. Now it's turned into this thing, and uh, so definitely follow uh, Corey Strange. It's at CM Strange. Really good dude, and just awesome art that isn't taking itself too seriously. Dig it. I think I follow him. I'll check it out more. Yeah, I've seen some snare drum 
drawings. I, I'm so jealous of people that can draw because I've tried and failed miserably throughout my entire life. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you, bro. <laughs> All right. So my pick of the week is um, the, a drum head that I that I have on a drum that's been probably f- since these heads were released. The Evans Heavyweight Snare Drum Batter. I got one to review. Ah, I want to say eight years ago. It's still on wow. my. Um, I have an Oakletree steel snare that I only take out when I'm swinging for the fences, and that head is still on there. It still sounds great. It's still. I mean, it's starting to show. It's getting dirty, but it's not wearing out at all. So, really, if you need a nearly indestructible head that still sounds good, it's not like you're you're you know playing a carpet on your on your snare drum sure it still has a lot of tone but it has that like dense attack good rebound it has a dot on it it's a double ply head coated it's pretty amazing they probably don't want too many people to become aware of it because you'll stop buying head new heads but the evans heavyweight (laughs) snare batter it's the it's the best of the super durable drum heads that i've tried Um, wow hands down so works great on steel drums i haven't tried anything else because i haven't needed to change it (laughs) <laughs> and that's what our boy was using in those clips that we were listening to? Yeah, he's playing a uh, – yeah, John Longstreth is using the heavyweight on a 5x14 reference series snare. Love it. And I also love that a metal drummer is playing 5x14. Right. Hot dog. <laughs> right. Damn right. All right, everybody. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to episode 219. Next week, we'll see what happens. Uh, most of the country will be celebrating Thanksgiving. Mike True. and I just work. When we do don't you care. come back? Let's do this on air. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, you guys want to hear what we do as soon as we actually get done with the podcast? Uh, okay, so I'm flying to Singapore on Friday. Uh, so let's see. I'm doing clinics on Saturday and Sunday. So I'm assuming I fly home on Monday. It's a super quick 20-hour flight. And then so Tuesday I'm out of commission, no doubt. So we could do Wednesday or Friday. Okay. I mean, Thursday doesn't matter to me. It's not you like I have what, everyone, Thanksgiving morning we might, plans. We might have to take Thanksgiving week off. Modern Drummer Podcast yeah, I mean, might have aw, to take a week off. Because I have a gig Wednesday where I'm going to be leaving early and I'm gone until Saturday. So okay. if by some so, stroke of luck, we might be back next week. If not, everyone have a amazing Thanksgiving. We'll see you after the holiday. Yeah. All right. All right, buddy. Well, that sounds fantastic. I think we deserve it. Yeah. We're at episode you know 219. But we can't get lazy. We, we got we to gotta keep doing this. Well, so have everyone have an amazing more. week. What's that? We only have five more to go, so we might as well stretch it out. Stop. You're scaring them. You're scaring them. Uh, don't right. tell them the truth. Dustin Sander, send us off. Get out of here. Ooh. <laughs> this is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.